if players don't know who I am, what I'm about, they're not going to care about what I have to say. Like it really. Welcome back to another episode of Champion School. Champion School, we're sitting down with some of the brightest minds of the game, chatting a little life, chatting a little sports, chatting a little mindset. Today, uh, Ray McIntyre, joined by BZB. Sorry, <laughs> we should probably tell him who we are. Uh, going to be a little different for us today. Uh, we're going to cover some stuff, obviously, in the intro. We're going to hit up on a, a, an amazing podcast with Kellen Lee, who uh, is a mental skills a coordinator or coach for the San Francisco Giants. Shouts out. Uh, but BZB is going to be leading us through a lot of this stuff today. Uh, I've been crazy swamped trying to get that website revamped because I know a lot of you guys out there in Casper, Wyoming are trying to get on that Casper camp that's coming up this weekend, which is going to be sick. So, uh, but BZB, before we get going, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Great weekend out in Wairika, California. A lot of fun. Long weekend, man. I'm still gassed. I mean, we, we had a we had a good one. Ray Mack went through a couple innings yesterday, so he came back off the rocker, man. That's crazy. So we went out there. We ran a great coaches clinic. It was awesome. It's always fun going back. I think it was our, our third or fourth year as a team, and it's been probably five years or so since we've had some friends go back there uh, in the past, and it's been awesome. It just continues to grow. Really good turnout on Sunday for our kids clinic, too. Kind of last minute, just throw it together, see what happens. And we had 20 kids out there, which was great. A lot of fun, a lot of good athletes competing, man. That's what it's all about. So great relationships, great opportunity, great team, and excited to be back there this summer. Yeah. Shout out to the Rosardos, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, just an outstanding family up there and, and they've taken care of us since day one. So uh, shout out to them for, again, providing an awesome weekend for us. And then, uh, and Nakona for coming out and helping us yeah, out with camp yeah, as well. Out. So um, some of the other things that I want to kind of touch base on was some of the D1 scoreboard and some of the people that are moving up and down. Um, we have, we make the joke of the air, not the Arizona, the project Sandlot slash champion school, personal touch. Georgia's playing well. LSU's playing well. Virginia's playing well. Uh, I'm sure there's more that I'm missing out on here that are playing pretty well, but there's been a little shakeup at the top. Texas dropped too. So they moved down a couple ranks and most of the ranking systems, Ole Miss and Notre Dame have been arguably number one in a couple different uh, of those rankings. I think Ole Miss, well, Baseball America has Ole Miss number two. They have Notre Dame number one. And then D1 Baseball has Ole Miss number one. Notre Dame, I think, six on that ranking system. Um, Virginia in the top five in a couple polls. And then also more in the top 20 as well. But they're playing good baseball. Clemson looking really good this year as well. They're 14-1. and one. They've been moving forward, man. They've been, they've been rocking it out. So a lot of good stuff on that end as well. Um, ASU obviously had a good weekend this last weekend. And uh, – May, they might be getting on track. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Arizona playing good baseball as well, opening up Pac-12 play with a, a two out of three over Cal, which was good. So uh, Oregon State obviously doing their thing. They're in the top five and majority of the polls. They've been moving forward in a lot of these things too. But I think an overall good weekend, LSU swept um, a good team down at Bethune-Cookman, and, and they're usually a challenging team. They're going to compete for their conference championship. Um, I was talking to a kid yesterday who's out in the A-10, and he was saying how, like, for them and their deal, they've opened up. They've struggled a little bit in the beginning of the season. And their main thing is, like, in their conferences, let's win the conference. Like, let's win the conference, move on, use the preseason to get our bearings right and to get our culture set. So um, pretty interesting stuff on that end. Ray Mack, what do you got? 
Yeah, our for most mid-major conferences, it is win the conference. You know, find a way to win the conference. Most of the time, honestly, it's win the conference tournament, and that's going to get you in um, because there's only a few leagues that are still auto-bid, no conference. I think the Ivy's probably the last one now uh, with the PAC certain, soon to be moving into, I think, next year, their own regional tournament. So, um, anyways, let's go ahead and get into the good news of the week. Good news of the week. Let me go and and pull this thing up. I've got a great one. My computer's lagging today. So if I take a little time, I apologize. But there's this really cool thing. So Ray's got turned me on to the, the Good News Network. It was awesome. It was actually the first thing that popped up on my Google search. <laughs> so that was yeah. good. And it, it stuck out. So there's this woman and I want to make sure I get her name right. So it's Joy Milney. I believe, M-I-L-N-E. And so it says, hey, made headlines when scientists discovered that she could smell Parkinson's disease on people with neurodegenerative disorder. I mean, what? give me a break, dude. She can smell it. So here's what she's done with her superpower, which is incredible. They've created an e-nose. <laughs> They're creating an e-nose that can detect in doctor's offices Parkinson's without having to actually go in and diagnose it from the doctor. How insane so they just is that? In? You just walk in, boom, you get the E-nose and, and whatever it does, they're still kind of developing, but um, it, it like sniffs out whatever the scent is put off. I'm not sure what this scent is, it didn't explain, but it smells the scent or whatever that might be of Parkinson's in patients. And it was like 31 out of 32, it was dynamite. And uh, she was like spot on with her diagnoses. How crazy is that? She That's can wild. smell it. What? I can't even see it half the time. So very impressive. But I love the fact that she uses her superpower to do good. And she's helping a lot of people get early access. Now, there is no cure. I think there's a lot of things that are starting to come out that are helping with it or at least helping aid it. But if, if you can create an e-nose that can detect this earlier on so that you can do some more preventative measures before it gets too late. I mean, what an incredible feat. So really cool to watch. Really cool to see rattled me a little bit with the enos i'm like man where are we move like i just walk in and i'm diagnosed now like this is impressive yeah. so uh, it's amazing where technology continues to go what do you think I, I, well i mean i you always hear about dogs being able to do crazy stuff with the nose but mm -hmm. i mean for a, a a woman and uh women have better nostrils than we do they, they got better snoofers and uh, in <laughs> general but for them to be able to smell a disease like that's pretty incredible. I think they were trying to do that with COVID initially, like right out the gate, they were trying to train dogs to do it. I don't know if that ever went through or not, but Parkinson's is a little more heavy hitting right now. So uh, I'm good with that. So nice yeah. job. Good incredible, work. man. Very, very incredible. The super, super inspiring just seeing these different stories and seeing how people can use their gifts for good. So great. Good news of the week, baby. Come on. <laughs> there it is. Uh, but now go ahead. Go ahead, Ray. No. After you, sir. Hey, I was going to go hit the chew on this right after that, baby. So let's go uh, chew on this with the grinds presented by grinds. I got my air grinds right now. <laughs> Hopefully we can plug them in in the playback. Playback. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Chew on this presented by Grinds. We're going to do that one again there. And we're super excited about this one. Last night in our Leadership Academy, there's been, we have a lot of our athletes who are from colder weather states. So they're just getting ready in their seasons. And uh, one of our athletes in particular is starting in New York and they just started their tryouts this week. Yesterday was their first day. And something that came up to me 
just with anything in general in life was limiting beliefs. And we've talked about it a lot. It's been about a year since we've brought this back up within the Academy. And uh, I thought it was a perfect time to bring it in. And it all stemmed from Ray Mack's story that he got about the elephant that was tied to the tightrope and the chain at a young age. And when they put this, this, the rope on its leg, the elephant couldn't move. So eventually it became conditioned that when the ropes on the leg, I cannot move. And it became big, strong elephants get huge. And even though there's this massive elephant, there was still this small little chain on its leg that if you look at it from the outside, it's like, dude, just take a step and you're going to get through that. Like you're going to break everything in, in the world with your massive power. The elephant though was conditioned with the limiting belief that when that chain is on, I cannot move going into, hey, most of us are conditioned between three and seven for the rest of our lives with trauma or limiting beliefs or whatever that might be. And most of it, we don't even ask for, right? Just through our childhood and our upbringing. So it was very important. And so today talking about the limiting beliefs, thinking about the things that are holding us back, preventing us from releasing the chains to go achieve our goals and our dreams. And for some people, it might be fear of something new. For others, it might be uh, the fear of other people's perceptions about us. For one person, it might just be, hey, the risk-taking factor. And I'm, I'm okay being comfortable. I feel good where I'm at and I don't need to make a change. The limiting beliefs, when we destroy those, right, we acknowledge them, we accept them, we move through them, but we can destroy them by taking positive action. And that's the, all that we talked about last night. So I thought it was only right to bring it up for the, the podcast because Kellen is obviously amazing at this, right, in his occupation and what he does. And to me, it's like, man, if there's one thing that's preventing us from going where we want to go, it's us. And it's usually the limiting beliefs that have been dampened that we've tucked away and put inside for so long that eventually they prevent us from taking those leaps of faith that we we want to see so i don't know if you want to add anything else on the the limiting beliefs yeah i mean first there's a lot of parents that are listening and and let's be honest the seven-year-old isn't limited in his beliefs most of the time it comes from somebody you know and whether that's classmates or whatnot most of the time it's from the parents and not intentionally they're always meaning the best they're trying to point things out to help the kid but really really want to encourage people to try and focus on Hey, you can do anything. It was, it was uh, I, again, going back to the Ukraine thing, I saw something on one of the um, people that were evacuating. One of the cities had a, is a single mom with a young boy. Uh, they had traveled thousands of miles already and they made it out. And this mom literally is talking to the boy who's been just stone faced all the time. And he said like, you know, something about, we're not going to get through this or whatever. It's not going to be as cool wherever we're going or whatever. And she's like, you can do anything. Remember, you can do anything. You can do anything. Just like pounding it into his head, like challenging situation, obviously. But with that kind of encouragement, I think you can get through a lot of that stuff and you become so much more resilient over time rather than going, Hey, my parents are telling me there's no way this is happening. There's no way this is happening. So I love it. Yeah. No, you're spot on. And we saw it at camp too with a couple of kids and, and no fault, but their own, right? They just, I can't hit. I can't do this. Yeah. I can't run. I can't make that play. It's too muddy. It's too this. And it's like, no, let's replace that with, I can, I got this. Keep working one pitch at a time, whatever that, that might be for whatever section of your life it is. So that, that, that was so important and seeing it at camp with nine, 10, 11 year olds sometimes like okay let's start to change our language earlier on so that when we get to the 16 17 18 year old range in high school we've already been conditioned that way and we've been equipped with some better self-talk to help us get through more of those challenging situations that life presents so uh, love it love it don't don't be the chain on your son or daughter from an early age <laughs> send them on 
let, you know, let them do their thing. Hot take uh, of the day. There it is. <laughs> a uh, great interview with Kellen Lee, as we've mentioned. Uh, he's, I want to say around my age, pretty close, uh, San Diego native, uh, and then ended up moving up. He's in San Jose now, uh, working pretty much primarily in San Jose. He does bounce around and then he's heading out. He's in spring training right now, uh, getting the team going. Great mind. The guy has uh, a real grasp on what's going on in the mental side and mental skill stuff. And some of the words he says, because he has some degrees beyond me, are <laughs> are, are large words. But uh, he does a good job breaking it down for everybody. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this interview, and we'll chat about it afterwards. Kellen Lee. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Champion School. We got Ray Mack in the building. JP had a work meeting, so he can't make it today. Uh, but we got Kellen Lee, uh, one of the minor league mental skills coordinators for the San Francisco Giants. We are fired up to have you, Kellen. Um, I've been following your stuff on social media for a long time, like we talked about before off air. It's been a long time coming for a good conversation, but I love what you do. We're super excited for our guests here today. But more importantly, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing really well. Thanks again for having me. Like you said, it's been, it's been a minute and it's been a long time coming for us to connect and I'm fired up to, to throw on, throw around some ideas and, and uh, see what the conversation goes. I'm fired up, man. Oh, this is so exciting, man. This is really our bread and butter, man. This is what we love to do. And we study it all the time. We learn it and we love learning from people like you who are in it and doing it for a career. Um, for you though, Kellen, what really got you into the mental side of sports, mental performance, uh, some of those types of things, what really got you in there? What was that like kind of that shifting point in your career? Yeah, I think like we have to rewind all the way back to my college days. Um, I went to UC San Diego, played baseball there and, uh, you know, go Tritons. And uh, my coach, Dan O'Brien, did an excellent job of just introducing our team and, and myself to the, to the mental aspects of the game. And I reached a level of performance that I never even really thought possible for myself. Um, so the, the, the mental side of the game was really intriguing. And at that point, um, I was kind of at a crossroads where I, I didn't know if I wanted to go into coaching. You know, I knew this, you know, sports psychology, mental performance thing was, a, was, was kind of a thing at the time, but I didn't really fully grasp it. Uh, so I talked to some people and I'm like, you know, I think I want to do this, you know, mental game stuff uh, as a career. And like I said, I was at that crossroads. And, and when I graduated from UCSD, uh, Dan O'Brien, my coach, got another job and he actually asked me to come on staff with him. And um, we so we went to the ABCA conference in, I want to say, 2012 uh, down in Anaheim. And I stumbled into this presentation. I really didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, but lo and behold, it happened to be someone who was doing mental skills coaching in professional baseball. And, and again, I was about to enroll in my master's degree program and I was, you know, a really young, motivated, soon to be graduate student. And I'm like, wow, like I was so intrigued by what he was doing, what like his job and what he was explaining about all of the different roles. And I'm like, well, shoot, like that's exactly what I want to do. So ever since that day, I was really fixated on, on doing the work in professional baseball. And uh, so finished my master's degree in sports psychology. Um, at that point, I was doing some consulting with some colleges or, you know, individual athletes from, um, you know, kind of all over the place. Uh, but then I realized, I was like, I don't want to do this like more full-time basis. So then um, I ended up working with the United States Army for three years, did middle skills mm -hmm. training and per, uh, performance training with that, uh, with that population, which was an incredible experience. And uh, we can talk about that if you'd like, but I just really enjoyed that experience. 
Uh, and then lo and behold, a couple of years later, the San Francisco Giants open up a position and uh, I live in the Bay Area. I live in San Jose. Uh, it was just a great fit. You know, I interviewed with them and it was, you know, I felt really good about the direction of the organization. And um, and then now, you know, going into year three as a, as a mental skills coach with the organization. And um, in the midst of all that, I was crazy enough to go back and get my Ph.D. in performance psychology since I love this stuff so much. Um, which was also a really incredible but challenging experience that I'm, that I'm grateful for. And um, so, yeah, you know, now that we sit here in 2022 and uh, going on to year three in my dream job, it, it, couldn't, it couldn't have worked out better as a former baseball player myself. I just I love being around the game and, and really zeroing in and, and locking in on the, the mental aspects of the game, as we know, is really important. Um, and really just coaching these guys to reach their full potential and beyond. It's, it's a really exciting role. It's, it's really the key separator, isn't it? It's like that one little thing you, you noticed it as a player. Uh, we noticed it as players. I think the, the coolest part about this and Ray, you can attest, I'm sure is we learn from our coaches sometimes of how important this is. I remember my last years in Nevada for Ray, it was kind of his last year and then going into his first year of coaching and coach Jay Johnson introduced us to this. We had three different people come in between psychologists, between leadership, uh, you can say gurus or whatever you want to call it. And then um, some breathing things. And it was all this stuff. I'm like, this is what we want to do. Like, this is incredible. And it, we saw the shift in our game and our team and how we, we operated. Take us through the, the army. Cause that's interesting. We talk with a lot of vets. Uh, we're doing some things in Wyoming and it seems like everybody in Wyoming is a, a veteran, which is amazing. And, uh, we obviously hear a lot of stuff in the media with it for you. What was that experience like training people who aren't just fighting for a good at bat or striking somebody out, but they're fighting life and death and they're compartmentalizing all these different experiences that they're seeing. What was that experience like, man? Take us through that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was incredibly rewarding. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you and, and for all the listeners out there who are uh, who might be skeptical of doing this work with the military, I was incredibly skeptical about doing this work with the military as well before I got the job. Because um, in fact, like people in the field of sports psychology is kind of a lesser known fact, but working with the, with the military in some capacity is probably the biggest employer of sports psychology and performance psychology professionals here in the US. Um, probably over 250 total jobs um, working with, with, the, with the armed forces in some capacity. Um, so again, as a graduate student, I know the job existed, but I was incredibly skeptical. And I just like, I just see the connection. I was like, well, how can I transfer all of these sport performance skills to a, to a tactical population like the military? But I'll tell you this, when, when I got there um, and started doing some trainings, you know, getting in front of groups and doing presentations and coaching, uh, you know, on the mental side of their performances, uh, I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I had was I can really see and, and now I, I notice that I can conceptualize really anything that anyone does as a as a performance and them having a mental aspect to what they do. So being able to cater all of our training to the specific tasks or performances that these soldiers had was incredibly challenging, especially as someone who never served in the military, really had no inf no knowledge of what they did or how they operated. Uh, so really starting in a, in a brand new population or performance environment or domain, as I call it, from square one with no prior information was really hard, but, you know, bringing this skill set of, um, you know, mental performance skills into the realm was really cool. Um, and, and really just trying to do my best to understand what they did so that I can best meet them with where they're at and what they need and identify like the key skills that might be relevant to what they do. 
Um, but you know, the stories that I heard, the, you know, just the, the incredible people that, that serve our, serve our nation, which is really cool. And I'm very humbled to work with that population. Always had a great respect for the military. I grew up in San Diego, which is an incredibly, you know, really military heavy, um, place. Um, so I always had that respect, but I really didn't fully grasp and understand what they did until I got to, you know, had the opportunity to work with them. Um, and yeah, I just like, just the, some of the concept conversations that we had with them, you know, talking about different resilient skills and how to bounce back from the inevitable adversity that we all face, but specifically in, in a combat situation or in a deployment situation where you're away from your family for eight to nine months at a time and being able to, to process all of those challenging moments that they go through, uh, whether they're, they're in battle or they're on operations deployment, deployment where they don't see battles uh, at all, it's all challenging and what they do is just so, so incredible. So just to be a small piece of their development and small piece of their, of their puzzle was really humbling. Um, but I'll tell you this, like one of the coolest populations I got to work with, like subpopulations within the military was the military medical personnel. They were just incredible. Uh, I remember, you know, working with the, the surgeons and the pilots that run the, that, that, that operate the, the Blackhawks to the, to the medics who were, you know, providing the, the first, the first aid to the, the casualties during battle. Like just some of the stories are really incredible to, to see. And then, and then being able to apply like focusing strategies and breathing techniques and like visualization to what they do was so cool. And to have them like really come back and give feedback and like, wow, like I wish I would have had this earlier. You know, I wish I would have had these skills, you know, prior to my first deployment. So I could just be more mentally ready and, and, and effective in my job. It was just such cool, uh, feedback to hear like that transfer of skills from again from the place I was very skeptical about how do how do how can I add value in this population in this space to you know by the time I, I left the program I'm like wow like I feel like I've really added a ton of value to what they do just based on their their stories and their and their feedback so yeah it was really cool um, but also like personally like professionally just gave me a lot of opportunity in front of groups to, to really address and, and teach these concepts and coach them and got a lot of repetitions and being able to articulate some of these really complex ideas and theories to other people and help them apply it, which absolutely set me up for success now. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I, I could, I could talk for, for hours about that experience, but I just wanted to highlight the, the military medical personnel because they were really cool to, to, to really break down their, their performances. Um, and uh, of course, like, Working with the machine gunners was really cool too, uh, but oh, you know the the, uh, the the military medical personnel. I just have a, such a, a high level of respect for what they do and 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 their their mission as a whole of just really taking care of other soldiers regardless of their situation. It's just really cool. Shout out to the military. Shout out to all our armed forces for what they do yeah. and the impact that they have. But that is incredible. And now I'm just picturing like a machine gunner on the top of the turret. Because I'm a Call of Duty guy, especially back in the day, Ray Max, we, we grinded for a while. And so <laughs> I'm just picturing two, 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 and then somebody's going down, medics hitting them like boom, like just the in battle and the combat side. And then also, like you mentioned, the out of combat, the ones who don't might not see it, but are gone for nine months to 12 months in a row without seeing any family. Um, that is incredible. I just love hearing these stories, man. And I love how it's transferable from military to baseball to 
real everyday life to the teacher, to the principal. It doesn't matter where you are. You said it best in the beginning. We're all performers in some aspect. And yeah. I think that's important to highlight. Um, last question before I kick it off to Ray here. But what are some of the main things that you are teaching? And I know there's probably a big old uh, word bank of things that you do, or and it might be subject to that individual as well. But what are some of the more common things that you might be bringing to the table, say, first time with a program or first couple weeks of spring training when you get your guys in there and you're really taking them through some things and establishing the mental side of what you do. What are some of those main key components that you're hitting on? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, every, every player is unique. Every, every player and coach needs something different. Um, but they're all those like generalities and, and foundations across the board and, you know, start, start with the basics, just help them understand that when they focus on the right thing at the right time, it allows their full physical potential to show up more consistently. And what that looks like for each player uh, could, could be, you know, a wide range of skills or techniques, but at the end of the day, you know, having them identify what they need to, what they need to think about, what they need to focus on in a particular moment or whether it's training or performing, it really doesn't matter. The same principle applies. If we're focused on the right thing at the right time, we're more likely to perform to our full potential. So start like that. That's the most basic form. And then from there, like, help them identify what prevents them from focusing on the right thing at the right time so that they can have the skills to get themselves back to where they need to go. Because I think oftentimes we only focus on what they should do versus what actually gets in their way of what they should do. And I think talking about both sides of the coin helps them build that self-awareness, but also helps them understand the game a little bit, a little bit better, as opposed to just like taking for granted that their focus is going to drift and it's going to go elsewhere. Let's just actually like specifically break down what, what pulls you away? What prevents you from doing what you know is helpful for yourself, whether it's a physical or a mental component, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that something is pulling you away because at the end of the day, like from a game to game uh, basis, someone's skill set doesn't necessarily change much. What does change the most is what, you, what we're thinking about, what we're focusing mm -hmm. on. So, you know, when they step out of the cage after BP onto the field for that, for that game at seven o'clock or whatever it might be, their skill set hasn't changed at all, really at all in the, in the two hours from BP. What changes is what they're thinking about, what they're prioritizing, what's the top of mind, how consistent can they be on a pitch-to-pitch -pitch basis. has nothing to do with skill because their skill is what it is in that, in that competitive moment. So having them understand that their mind can either work for them or against them and they get to choose is a really powerful foundation that I try to, try to share with our players. So, and then that goes with the coaches too. So you ask like what we'll, what we'll address in spring training – I spent about half of my time with the coaches coaching them on how to coach the mental game as well. Cause I think like they have way more touch points than I could ever have with players. Players tend to go to them first. If a player is struggling at the plate, their first call is probably their hitting coach. It's probably not me. Maybe it is, but it could be most likely their hitting coach, which is great. So I try to bring them up to speed on anything that I think could be helpful from their vantage point to share with our players so that they're getting the same message is really consistent and that, you know, they hear something from me in a presentation and then they hear their hitting coach say the exact same mm. thing, it's more likely going to stick. So again, I think at the, at the, like the very, the, the very first present, like foundations or presentations we might, we might tackle are just understanding the impact of focusing on the right thing at the right time, what that does for you, why it's helpful. And also coaching coaches on, on how to pick up on cues on how, wh whether players are focusing on the right thing at the right time, or if they're not you know, common distractions, common things that prevent players from, from, you know, being as locked in as possible. And then from there, just really get, you know, go into the weeds with individual players or small groups about like, what does this look like for them specifically? So 
I think like that's honestly what, what I'm gearing up to do here in, a, in the next couple of weeks is really just get these guys thinking about, you know, thinking about their thinking, which is a really weird concept, like but it's really critical to do. Um, and also think about like some of the factors that just pull them away or get them out of their game. Cause I think, you know, get building that, that, that foundation of self-awareness is an absolute game changer for really anyone who's trying to be a high performer in whatever they do. So good. Right. For, for you, you guys are going into spring training and, and I don't think a lot of our listeners understand what that entails all in totality, but for you, like what is a day to day for the spring training look like for you? Yeah. So like 95% of my, my work is dedicated to the minor leagues um, in player development. So what, what that looks like for me is at the most basic form, if the players are at the facility at the complex, I'm at the facility or complex, uh, whether in the weight room, whether in the athletic training room, getting, you know, day-to-day maintenance treatment um, in the cage, on the field, um, in meetings, like I, I'm around every day, seven days a week, um, maybe a, a day off every couple of weeks, perhaps, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, but really like, I, I love the grind. I'm, I'm a baseball guy. So I, I just love being at the field. Um, but for, for the listeners specifically, like um, if, the, if the players have like a five hour workout, I'm probably there for seven hours. Like I'm there longer than the players at times where, again, I'm, I'm shooting the breeze with the coaches, talking shop with the coaches as they're uh, as they're at the facility, you know, early on, you know, get, getting their getting their work done or just getting organized for the day. Um, but um, basically, there's two different types of days in spring training. Uh, the first, like, is like a training day or a camp day, what we call it. And then there's like the the spring training game. So when it's a camp day, you know, we'll we'll do things ranging from defensive drills to BP to um, you know, cage work to, you know, bull, the, the pitchers will throw bullpens, the catchers will do their, their, their defensive work, whether it's, you know, blocking or, or transfers or whatever they're, whatever they're focusing on that day. And then, um, you know, we, we end the day or they'll, they'll get a, they'll get a lift in or, or they'll do what they need to do, you know, off the field stuff. Uh, and on those days, typically we'll have some type of meeting, whether it's, you know, uh, hitting philosophy meeting or defensive work or talking about positioning or, you know, the mental skills guys will come in, we'll do our deal. Um, so those tend to be the camp days. And then the game days, we'll do a little bit of a workout earlier in the day. We'll do some BP defensive stuff, kind of the same game day routine that they would do during the season. And then we'd play a game. So on the minor league side, um, we'll play a local team, you know, here where our facilities in Scottsdale, you know, we'll play the the Diamondbacks one day, we'll play the, you know, the, the Cubs, you know, for, you know, a seven inning or eight inning game, depending on how much pitching we have or who needs to get work. And, and I'm there. So I'm in the dugout. I'm, you know, kind of walking around the different fields. If we have multiple games going on, having touch points with the guys um, during games, like I don't necessarily do a ton of coaching. Well, some people think I might not be, but I might be in the dugout. I might just like pick up on an observation or ask a player what he's thinking. You know, I don't want to give them too much, but, if I'm noticing something or if I, you know, had a previous conversation with the guy earlier and I want to follow up with them, it's a great time in the dugout to have those conversations. And that's really my approach during, during the season too. So I'm, I'm in the dugout all the time. Um, you know, just being, being, uh, being a resource for them, whatever they need. And, you know, sometimes so what I've been told by players is sometimes just my presence is a reminder for them of something we talked about, which is really interesting yeah. to me where I don't have to say anything, but they're just like, Oh, yeah, Kellen said that one thing about focusing. Maybe I should do that my next at bat. Like I've actually gotten that feedback just from being there. So I try to make a point to be there as much as possible. Again, like we have three games going on. I can't be in three dugouts at once, but like I do try to make my rounds and like and, and be as present as possible. 
Um, Because what I've been told, and this is not my words, this is their words, is that even just being there can make a difference. So I I try to just like be as present as possible for both the coaches and the players. And, you know, there's nothing like, uh, you know, shooting the breeze and just, you know, being in a dugout, like just even if you're talking nothing about what I do as a job, you know, talking about just really anything with the players, it's just really cool to, to have that, to have that experience. And, you know, I get this is my job. I get to go hang out in a dugout and talk shop with players. Like it, it couldn't be better. Are you going to be stationed? Do you station in San Jose? Like, is that your home field? Yeah. So I, when I, again, a, a huge plus and why this was such a huge, a great fit for me and the giants is I lived in San Jose prior to getting the job and our low a affiliate is actually here in San Jose. Um, so I do, I do travel to all of our affiliates. I rove around to, um, you know, Eugene, Oregon, Richmond, Virginia, and Sacramento is our triple a, uh, and then here in San Jose is our, our low A f- affiliate. So I fortunately get to stay here and then I travel around, but I spend a lot of time with our low A affiliate uh, during the season, which is honestly great because it tend to be a little bit younger population, younger group. Um, and I do a lot of teaching, a lot of coaching and just my consistent presence, like, like I mentioned, can make a huge difference. And I get to really build really strong, meaningful relationships early on in their professional career. And I've seen it pay dividends, you know, going into year three here. Uh, seeing guys at their at their first time, you know, perhaps in a first time full season uh, affiliate baseball, and then now you know they could be slotted to go to Double A, and I really have a really strong meaningful relationship with them. So the work tends to be really cool as the ad to see them progress and see them you know develop as people, and just being a part of that process is really cool. But um, yeah, so I travel down to Arizona for spring training. So that that's hard being away from my family. I got two young kids, um, being down there for five or six weeks straight. Um, but really like during the season, I get to spend a lot of time here in San Jose and of course get on the road with the other teams. But, um, yeah, so that my, my home base is essentially San Jose until spring training comes around. And then I, uh, you know, post up, uh, in Scottsdale, which there could be worse place to be. Um, but uh, yeah, that tends to be my home for, uh, at least half of February and a little bit and all of March. Very nice. Uh, it's, it's not a bad place to live either side for sure. No. <laughs> um, so for last one, before I send it off to buy, but how important it is, is it for you? And as a former coach, like even trying to talk somebody through a swing change or something like that, it's hard to do without building that relationship first. Uh, and so for you, for example, in spring training, you have so many guys coming in. How is that play into your role, uh, building that relationship before the coaching side comes in? Yeah, I think like <clears throat> it's absolutely huge, right? Like I think if players don't know who I am, what I'm about, they're not going to care about what I have to say. Like it really, it, I, I just, I can't stress that enough where, um, you know, even even if players aren't going to latch on to everything I say, if I could just make, a, a, make an influence on them as people, like I feel like I'm doing my job. And I can't do that unless they, they know who I am. They know where I'm coming, through, coming from. And like, yeah, there are certain things about me personally that I might not share with a player, but that, that's fine. Like that's my personal choice, but I'm a pretty open book. Like I, I just, I want to be authentic. I want to be genuine around them because, you know, I think they could, they can sniff out BS if, if they, if they feel it. Like I do, I do think that that is one thing that I've wor- learned from being in pro ball, but also working with the military. Like they're very quick to call you on your crap. If you, if you, if you, if you're not being authentic, they'll definitely call you on that. Um, but I think like, like you said, like it's, it's so critical to, to be able to have that personal connection with the player, because here's, here's what happened. This is the byproduct. We always talk about like why relationships are important, but I'll tell you why, like what happens as a byproduct of having that relationship. So 
I might spend, let's just say a total of 30 minutes talking to a player and 27 of those minutes might not have anything to do with what I have, what I have to offer in terms of my job or skill set. But the last three minutes of that conversation, it might get, he might like shift it seriously and go like, all right, but seriously, like, I'm really having a tough time focusing on my bullpens. Like, do you have anything for me? And I might give them something that like 30 seconds, like, okay, you know, Hey, try this. Like I've noticed this, or, you know, I've, I've seen you do your bullpens or just give them something really quick. And whether it works or not, they've opened up the door to actually do great work in the future. And what that does as a, as like a second or third order consequence is they'll want more, like they'll just want more. So I never think like that I am wasting any time if I'm actually getting to know a player. Some people are like, well, you're not doing your job. I'm like, well, not by my job description, but like what that actually does long-term <clears throat> is the player's going to care. He's going to start to care because I am truly showing like a genuine interest and curiosity in him as a person, because at the end of the day, like just a reminder for everyone listening, these are, these are humans who wear different uniforms to work. Like they really are like, that's all they are. And again, I've used that same principle with the military when I was really apprehensive and like a little like, Oh my gosh, like, what are they going to listen to me? They're just humans who wear different clothes to work. Like that's all they are. And it's really cool. And so you have to address them as a human first and, um, and then from there, you can get really get some really get in the weeds with some cool concepts. But I just like I can't stress enough how important the like the personal connection is. So good that personal connection. And as a former player, and obviously for all three of us here as former players, we we can tell when those genuine relationships are built, <clears throat> and you trust that person. So now I'll come totally. to you with whatever I have, even if it's just Kellen. Hey, dude, how are you doing? How's your kids? How how are you guys running? Like, do you like San Jose? Like, whatever it is, we just have that genuine connection, and it makes that person we build that trust. So I really like that. I remember we had uh, when I was with the Diamondbacks, we had a couple people but it was right before mental skills started to get big it was right before they brought on the coordinators and kind of opened up some roles for it and that was always the one thing that i felt like we lacked and and thankfully they made a massive difference in mlb baseball and, and all throughout professional sports to emphasize the role of mental performance coaches in sport and anywhere but there's something that's uh, been a hot topic i know you've been in the middle of this hot topic too and i'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this the difference between a mental performance coach versus a mental health specialist or like a counselor right and i think there's they're different in ways um i'm interested to hear your thoughts on it man so i just want to open up the, the floodgates let you roll into it and do your thing because i am genuinely interested in this topic and what the real difference is and how we can assess that as well yeah i think like th this has been a really like you said a hot topic and i think it's important uh, for people to understand that there, there is a difference. And at the same time, there is overlap as well. And what I mean by that is like, I think of the, like the mental health professional and the mental performance professional as like two opposite ends of a spectrum. And it's really on a continuum, right? Where the, in general, a mental health professional is identifying and helping players or helping people uh, improve their overall well-being and like overall well, like functioning as a human being. Whereas a mental performance coach or, or someone in my realm, in my with my particular education and skill set, is focusing on the enhancement of performance. At the end of the day, our goals are very similar, and the goals that are very similar, where that overlap lies, is we're trying to use our or help have our mind help us versus not help us. Mm -hmm. Like that's it at the end of the day. Whereas a mental performance professional hope focuses solely on performance, 
a mental health professional focuses primarily on overall functioning and well-being. There is that overlap where someone who, who does provide mental health support, which again, for the listeners, I have no mental health training in my, in my education and my experience. And that was a complete intentional choice as I really wanted to focus on coaching. Cause personally I identify as a coach with a different skill set. There's a hitting coach as a pitching coach. I just happen to be a coach for your mind. Whereas a mental health professional focuses on identifying if there's an anxiety disorder or depressive depression disorder. And that is on the spectrum and, and really under that umbrella of like functioning and over well-being, overall well-being as a human versus like their, their, their efficiency or, or performance excellence as a performer. And that's a very, very distinct dis, uh, uh, distinction for me. So for me, like, it's really important to understand, like, if you, if you as a listener or a consumer or an athlete or performer are looking for some type of resource, it's identifying the, the, the specific resource that you need. If you do require some more mental health resource, great. There are some great people out there that can provide that support. And I'm a huge advocate for people seeking out that, that support. I'm just not a mental health professional. So if I'm working with a player who, you know, provides some red flags or just throw out some ideas, I'm like, wow, like, I think that person could absolutely benefit from someone getting the, the, the resource and the need that they, that they, they require. I will hand them off to the best person I can find. Also, I don't want them to think that I'm like, like use a football analogy of like handing the ball and saying like, Hey, good luck. Like see you in the end zone. It's like, not that I want them to understand that if they're, if they require mental health support, which is great, go get the support that you need. I can also simultaneously work on the mental aspects of performance because there is that, that clear distinction. So like the analogy I try to use is I think of mental performance and mental health uh, professionals as two parallel lanes on the freeway where there's the dotted line in the middle where a player can merge into each lane and we're all working towards the same destination. We're all working in the same direction of having our mind help us versus not help us. I focus on performance. Mental health professionals focus primarily on overall functioning and well-being, and a player can can merge, can go back and forth. It's a dotted line. It's not a double yellow. It's a dotted line where we can, you know, kind of merge into both lanes, and we are simultaneously working on the same thing. So, with that said, like if I ever come across a player who does require that that additional resource and and identify that need. I am not going to like leave them in the dust. Like I want them to, to still focus on the mental aspects of performance because it is two very different skill sets and you can benefit from both. So long winded way in saying, if you need additional mental health support, great, find it. There's a lot of great people who can do that work. And I'm a huge advocate and a huge supporter for that space. At the same time, what I physically do, what I, what I do in terms of my training and what, I, what I'm qualified to do is focus on the, the aspects of performance. And I would say that every single person, every single performer can benefit from identifying their mental aspects of performance and training it so that they can be more effective in the long term. And that's simply the space I live in. So that I hope that answers your question. I really like, I want to clearly distinct, like uh, provide a distinction for people out there because again, a lot of times it gets confused. Some people, they ask me, they're like, are you a mental health professional? Or are you not? So like, I'm very deliberate about the, the language that I use. I'm a mental health advocate. I'm just a mental performance professional is the, is the, is the, the best way to describe it. 
That's a such a good way to put it. And I'm I'm glad you clarified it for everybody out there listening because it's such a hot topic and it's important yeah. to to distinct the, the two differences, but also the similarities. Like you said, I love the analogy. I'm a big analogy guy. And for you to say, hey, we can merge into lanes. There's no double yellows, man. Like we can go from side to side, but at the end of the day, we're trying to help people get in the right direction and get the help that they need. Uh, and totally. there's two different ways to do it. And I think that's an important one to, to label there. So that's huge, man. I love that. And I love the passion that you have behind this. It's so powerful and it's it like radiates through the screen, man. I love it. So um, I guess the next thing that I, that I want to ask here too, is uh, you get to obviously work with professionals and guys who have been been picked right been drafted to get to that level and there's a lot that goes on right long seasons a lot of failure a lot of ups and downs obstacles distractions off the field you name it if you're a kid that is just looking to explore this side right the mental performance they've seen it on twitter they might have seen it on instagram post they're like hey there's something missing my physical skill set seems to be in a good place but up top i'm just a, a head case i'm struggling what would you recommend maybe some first steps for somebody who's say brand new getting into this space as an athlete from the athlete side of things to start diving into, where would you recommend they go? Or maybe some of the things for them to start practicing or actively doing on a daily basis, just to start beginning that dialogue with themselves. I think like, I, I, that's an excellent question because that I, I get that a lot where people are like, Hey, I, I heard you do some really cool stuff, but I have no idea where to start. Yep. <laughs> um, so super common question. And I would say like, at the very, at the, at its most basic form, understanding yourself within that, within that performance space is like the best first step. So that includes like, like I said, understanding what helps you understand what doesn't help you, what throws you off your game, what helps you with your game. And it's, it's simply just like taking a second to think about out of your performance space. So like whether you're sitting at home or, you know, on the way to a game, like it could look, look anywhere, but really just taking an inventory up front of like, where am I at? Like, do I do things on intentionally? Do I, do I leave things to chance? Like how, how on purpose is my thinking? How not on purpose is my thinking? And understand that. And really at the most basic form, like the more intentional you are with your thoughts, the more consistent you are with your performance because a consistent mm -hmm. mental perform mental approach leads to consistent performance. Is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. Like, let's be honest, like this, there's so many variables when it comes to performing in any sport. So nothing is guaranteed, but I'm in the business of just increasing chances of success. So like, look back at the moments where you've had a lot of success and, and really clearly brainstorm it and, and identify, well, shoot, like what worked for me? Like something was obviously working for me in this span or in this game, take note of it, like jot it down, write it down, become really aware of what's going on. That's helpful. And then create another list of like, well, when I'm not doing well, when things don't seem to be working out for me, what else am I noticing? Like, what else? I think like a really powerful question yet so simple is like, what else? Like continue to brainstorm, like what else? What else could be helpful? What else is not helpful? And like really like sit in that space and identify and continue to expand on those lists because first of all, the list that you identify what's helpful that is a piece of your recipe for success. Like that is your piece. That's your own twist and own, own recipe for success. And it's important to like continue to cater. Like, again, I'm using that analogy, but like continue to like manipulate that recipe and, and keep like seeing what you can add or even take away. Cause sometimes like addition by subtraction is also really helpful where you might be just need to take something out of your routine. That's, you know, just uh, minimizing your efficiency. 
So I think for anyone trying to start out, like take it from the most basic form and, and these aspects of the, of, of your list, so to speak, might be mental or physical, or it doesn't really matter. Just identify what's helpful and what's not. And then from there, you already have a piece of your recipe for success. And then you identify what's, what you can subtract addition by subtraction. And then from there, you can start to implement new strategies, whether that's, again, we've, we talked about like a little bit of breathing, whether you talk about establishing a really consistent routine, um, you know, giving yourself some attention or focus control strategies, um, or just like understand the importance of emotional intelligence. Like that is like a next level, third level, like type of concept, but understanding the role that your emotions play in performance could be an absolute game changer for someone understanding the, like the default emotions or the, like the, the emotions you experience the most during a performance, whether it's good or bad, that is a skill in itself being able to regulate those emotions and being able to name the emotions. Now we're getting like really in the weeds about emotional intelligence, but there's, there's a ton of stuff out there that suggests that the more emotionally intelligent a person is, the more they can regulate, the more they can um, just be in control of themselves. And when we know we're in control of our mind, of our emotions, we're in control of our body. And when we're in control of our body, we can control of our physical skill set, And that's what we're trying to transfer into an athletic performance. So Again, I, I can go on and on about this, but start out by just what, what's helpful and what's not, and then go from there and you can pick up on patterns of things you can continue doing or things you can adjust. I love the self-awareness piece, Galen, like the, the just becoming more self-aware. And so, I mean, I'm sure you can go back into it, Ray, I'll kick it off to you for a couple more uh, in a second, but like, I, th I think we can all go back to it as when we're performing and then now in regular day life, where like, if we just took inventory of how we were feeling on a certain day, we might be able to get through those feelings and emotions a little bit better um, for whatever that might be. So I love the fact that you hit on that, man. And um, that really just everything that you've been doing and, and how an athlete can get access to this just by simply listening, right? And listening to themselves, listening to the thoughts, being able to write them down, putting them on paper. I'm such a big fan of putting things on paper. I think it just sticks more for us and we can see it. Um, it's visual. It just really just, uh, it hits deeper, it hits deeper. So Ray, I'll let you kind of dive into another one and then uh, we can wrap it up. Yeah, we'll do. I'll get you one question, and then we'll get the game, and then we'll let nice, by wrap. Nice, but uh, cool for you, your son Colton. Uh, I was watching yes. on Instagram today. He does. Uh, you do this little thing where you ask him what the team names are. <laughs> yeah, and that is That's one so of my awesome. favorite segments I've seen on Instagram. So, but for you, for with Colton, you're talking emotional intelligence and your role. How what's it been like seeing his emotional intelligence develop? How has that played into your role as a parent too? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. And, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm really proud. Like he, he turns five here in a couple of weeks and I'm, it's incredible what he's able to like understand and comprehend at his level and, or at his age. And I do have to give a ton of credit to his school, um, because they, they talk about like understanding emotions and being able to name them. And, you know, some of the stuff he says when it comes to emotions, it like blows my mind. Like, He'll go like, I'm really frustrated because, and he'll explain like why he's frustrated. And I'm just like, wow, like that's incredible. Like for him to be able to articulate that, that is really cool. So, but, so like as a parent, like one thing that I try to do, you know, alongside my wife is help them help him understand that, like, I'll never get upset at him for being like sad or angry or uh, frustrated. I'll tell him like, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to show emotions. It's, it's okay to understand like why you're feeling that way, but understand how like being angry and what the action that might come along with anger 
might result in and have them understand that the behavior is what we're, what we're focusing on, not the emotion. We can change the behavior and by one, we can first try to regulate the emotion. Like, sure, that, that's the first step, but understand what we tend to do with a certain emotion, whether that's, you know, go throw a toy or yell or something like that. Like we'll focus on the behavior, not the emotion. And we'll, we'll talk about the emotion. We'll try to name it. We'll help them understand it. But we really focus on like the behavior itself. And also like his, his ability to really like think about, or actually one, one thing that I'm really uh, fired up about for him specifically, I get fired up about emotional <laughs> intelligence. It's kind of weird, no, but yeah, it's awesome. like, like when, when I'm feeling something or my wife feels something, or, you know, we have a one-year-old, my one-year-old daughter, Dawson, when she's upset, like he'll be able to go like, I think Dawson is upset because uh, he, she dropped her pacifier on the ground. And like, he tries to think about like, and empathize with her because empathy again is such a powerful tool. And like, I, I'm fired up that he's able to empathize at the age of, you know, almost five, which is really cool to think about because our ability to feel something with another human being can absolutely impact the way that we connect with them. And that's what empathy is. So side note, uh, one thing that I love to throw out there is like the difference between sympathy and empathy and sympathy is feeling for someone. Empathy is feeling with someone. And when we empathize with someone, we're like kind of reaching out and like trying to connect with them versus like the, 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 the visual that comes to me when someone says like, Oh, I'm sympathizing. It's kind of like, I feel for you. Like I feel bad. And it's almost like putting your hand out like this, like you're almost pushing them away, almost like giving them the Heisman, so to speak, as opposed to like empathy, you're like inviting them into your space. It's like, I've, I've, I know, like one thing he said, it was really cool. It's like, I know Dawson's upset because she dropped her pacifier and like something as simple as that, he's able to articulate that and understand it. So like those little moments are really cool, but really like as a parent, helping them understand that feeling emotion is, is okay. And like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Let's understand like what we do as a result, like what are our actions, what are our behaviors? And that's what we tend to focus on. Or if we need to course correct or, or change the behavior, we focus on behavior We focus on the emotion. I'll never get mad at him for feeling anger because guess what? We're human. We're going to feel that way. And I'd be, I would be hypocritical if I get angry at him for feeling anger. Like that just doesn't make any sense. So like, but I will talk about like some of the behaviors that we want him to do or not do as a result of some of those emotions. So like that, that's really at the most basic form. But at first, like, I think a, a skill that everyone could benefit from, you know, the listeners out there is just being able to name your emotion first, like come up with the word, like be able to describe it. In fact, a really cool exercise I do with play people is I sit them down, I'll go, okay, brainstorm as many emotion words as you can without any prompts. And that's it. People really struggle with that, like really struggle to come up with just words to describe emotions. Even when I say, hey, use synonyms, use synonyms, like happy, excited, you know, fired up, pumped up, like all those words, those are emotion words and they're different degrees of intensities of emotions. So increasing your vocabulary in terms of your like emotion word vocabulary bank is incredibly powerful because then you can specifically identify like what emotion you're actually feeling and then be able to regulate it from there if it's ineffective or counterproductive or productive and you can keep it. But like I try to give him different words to describe his emotions so that he can just be more in tune with what he's experiencing. Yeah, that that empathy piece is a huge developmental stage for kids to yeah. achieve and get to. So um, I, I don't know. I don't have any kids yet. So I'm living vicariously through you right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
let's go ahead and dive into the game. Uh, this is a quick game. Uh, we call it on or off it. Uh, I'm going to go through a list of 10 things. Uh, we kind of try to relate them to some things you might be on or off. Uh, you're going to tell us you're on it, you're for it, you're off it, you're against it, or you're not about it. And uh, quick sentences to why. Cool. Okay. Uh, number one, black coffee. On it. I no no sugar, no cream. Yeah. How many coffee cups a day are you going through? Uh, when I'm at the facility, probably two to three. At home, like I try to limit it max two. Nice. Very nice. Buys on that kick right now, too. Yeah, two to three minimum. <laughs> uh, number two, Monopoly. Uh, on it. Uh, love the idea of trading and just trying to dominate another person. Yeah, uh, number three, travel ball year round. Ooh. Off it, I would rather someone play multiple sports and not specialize. Me too. Did you play multiple sports growing up? Oh, yeah. Football, baseball, basketball, soccer, everything. Oh, boy. Very nice. Uh, number four, golf. On it, uh, my physical game is awful. My mental game is great. There you go. But I do, but I do like it. Did you ever play Tori while you were down there? No, I haven't. I played Coronado. Coronado is incredible. Yeah, very nice. Uh, number five, visualization. Absolutely on it every single day uh, because we as humans naturally think in pictures and visualization is just thinking on purpose with a purpose. Very clean. Uh, number six, Lord of the Rings. Off it. More Star Wars guy. More Star Wars and Harry Potter guy, yeah. I love Harry Potter and the Star Wars. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? I know. Um, <laughs> I think I got to go Return of the Jedi. Okay. Yep, very good. I just rewatched a lot of them just in the last couple of months. So. Uh, number seven, Rainy Days. For San Diego. Off it. Off it. <laughs> Absolutely off it. Uh, people forget how to drive. And uh, like, why would I want to go out in the rain when the sun is just better? You telling me those those San Jose folks don't know how to drive in the rain? <laughs> They're much better than the San Diegans. I tell really? you, I yep. spent I spent you know 22 years of my life in San Diego, and people forget how to drive. Yeah. Um, number eight, bowling. Ooh, uh, on it, but I'm not great. Um, it's pretty fun. I like it. Okay. Number nine, uh, Latino music in the clubhouse. Absolutely, 100% on it. In fact, <laughs> nice. um, yeah. That that is a that is was an off season project of mine is to learn much more Spanish so I could do my job a little bit better. Uh, as people might not know, about over half of the minor league players are, are from Spanish speaking countries and speak very limited English. Uh, so that my Latin playlist is one of my more frequent go tos. That's awesome. Uh, last one. Uh, UCSD Tritons winning the Big West this year. Uh, is there a hopeful option? <laughs> hopeful. We'll give you the hopeful. There's a Absolutely. hopeful option. Uh, they did just have a huge win last night against USC. Yeah. Um, first time playing in school. And again, as, as a as a, a brand new-ish Division One program, it's really excited to, to see like the trajectory of the program and to see where they can go. Um, as I've always wanted the program to be D1 because um, they're very deserving. I played Division Two and really loved the experience, but you know I think we belong in the Big West, and I'm really excited to see what Coach Newman does in the future because it's it's a really great place, and I think uh, there'll be some dudes rolling through there very soon. I, I'm very confident of that. He's done a great job over there. I, I got I was really fortunate to see him speak in the ABCAs a couple of years back. So uh, yeah, they're on they're definitely on the right track for sure. No doubt. Go ahead. Go ahead. Bye.
Yeah, no, this has been awesome, Kel. And this, I, I love the honor off it. The Latino music in the clubhouse, big time <laughs> on it. It just gets the vibe going, man. We it don't does. need like the sad country or the they're like reggae or reggaeton, baby. Give me a little Latino. <laughs> did, did you dance. steal? Did you steal my phone? Those are the, my there two is. go to is reggae and reggaeton. Those oh, are my two man. favorite types of music. You stole my phone, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got it on the playlist here. I had to switch to Apple because my Spotify got hacked. <laughs> so uh, we're rolling. But no, Kel, we appreciate your time, man. We're sitting. You the, the best of blessings on the way down to Arizona this spring. Uh, you're going to do amazing things. You already are. And just the impact you're having, the many mindset moments on Twitter and Instagram are phenomenal. They're awesome. And it's teaching us more than you might think it's teaching us, uh, especially about kids one day. So we thank you for what you do, man. And it, it plays a massive role in these athletes and coaches' lives. And uh, we're super grateful for you spending some time with us today. No, I'm grateful for the invitation. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I, I look forward to, to seeing more of you guys' stuff online and and just really continue this conversation and help people understand what, what mental performance is all about. We love that, man. We appreciate it, Kellen. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Kellen. Kellen. See ya. All right, we're back. First of all, Kellen, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Uh, I know your time with your family is limited, especially leading up to a big you know, month or six-week excursion you're going to be at right now out there in Phoenix. But or Scottsdale, sorry, G man. Uh, but thank you for sitting down with us. Thank you for sharing your insights with our people, and and I think we got a lot out of it. But for you, Austin, what did you get out of our sit down with Kellen? Yeah, he keeps it super simple, and that's the part I like about it. I think sometimes when we do have a lot of background and knowledge, we overcomplicate things. He keeps it super simple. He's very approachable, which I, I believe is a, a key trait when you're working in this space, especially for athletes at that level who might not always want to be approached, right? And sometimes they don't go straight to you, but he said something important about like, hey, we're just a coach for your mind. Like we're just another coach out here, but we're a coach for your mind, not your skill or not your arm angle or whatever else. It's for your mentality and for your mindset, and we're here to help. And so the thing I like about what they do is they get in the trenches, they're out there in spring training, they're bouncing around the field, they're having conversations with the coaches and players. And he said he spends a lot of the time helping the coaches because he said, if you have a swing problem, you're probably going to the hitting coach before you go to the mental coach. So I'm going to give the hitting coach some tools and some skills and some things to go in with to help uh, transfer what I'm saying to the player right? Kind of using them as a vessel. So I thought that was pretty cool how he uses that and navigates the system there and provides a lot of value to the coaches to help the coaches coach the players who are going to be with those guys all year long um, playing throughout the season. What about you? Yeah. I love that. He just sits down and he says, Hey, we got, I can't go in and tell a dude, do this, do this without mm -hmm. him knowing me and who I am uh, and what I'm about, because those words don't stick. Uh, the best time is when you build that relationship like he's doing right now. You're in the trenches, as you'd said. And then when he sees that young man out in San Jose in seven weeks and he's having a tough time, he can turn to him and go, OK, like, let's chat now. You know, let's chat about your day. Let's chat about whatever. And then if you want to bring up the swing or bring up the mindset stuff that you're having troubles with, we can get into that. That's no problem because the relationship's already established. And I think that's got to go the same exact way for any coach, any head coach. Um, I know Jay Johnson has always done it and I'm sure many other coaches do it. That first two weeks, we're getting every guy in and we're sitting down for a one-on-one -on -one meeting. You and me, let me know what you're about. First, first 10 minutes usually has nothing to do with baseball. And then it's, hey, let's line up the goals. Let's see what you're about this year and what do you need from me? And that when that door's open, I think the sky's the limit for a team and uh, it really does start top down. So 
Uh, Kellen, again, great job, great work. Uh, and I know Austin's really itching to get out there and spend some time with you potentially at spring training. So you might be seeing a little bit more of him soon. <laughs> um, anyways, that's going to do it for us today. We hope you guys have a blessed week. Um, thank you for hanging with us and staying with us. If you are looking to get into some camps, I know we have a lot of camps that are going to be coming up here shortly uh, that we'll be tacking onto the website soon. Uh, make sure you check it out at majorleagueuniversity.com. All socials will be on those sites as well. Uh, you'll have access to that. It's going through a little bit of a revamp. Hopefully by the time you hear that, hear this, uh, it'll be up and running full time. So uh, that's going to do it for us. Hope you guys have a great week and see you later.